Hey, welcome to the online ministry at Coastal Community Church. I want to thank you so much for checking us out, and we're so grateful that these sermons online are benefiting uh, your spiritual growth. Uh, but one of the things we have a deep conviction of at Coastal Community Church is that you're a part of a local church. And so uh, while we want these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, we also want to encourage you to find a local church. So if you're in our community, we'd love for you to visit us. Check us out. We're on 101 Village Avenue in Yorktown, and uh, we have three service times on Sunday morning that you can see if you can be a part of our community. The service times are 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and so we'd love for you to visit us. Um, when you visit us this summer, we're going to be doing a, a new series called One, and uh, we're going to be taking our church body through uh, the letter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth. And the letter is written because Paul is horrified to find out that this church is not unified together as a body um, to make Jesus Christ famous in their community. And I find that interesting because we we live in a culture where I think sometimes we're uh, shocked when a church is working in unity. And so that's what we want to be, a coastal community church. We want to be a church that works in unity uh, so that we can better uplift the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll join us for this new series as we go through 1 Corinthians. The series is called One. Good morning, Coastal Church. Great to see you this morning. And uh, would you do me a favor? Get your Bibles out, okay? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible or can't afford a Bible, take that one with you, okay? We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God and uh, to read it on a regular basis. There's a handout in your bulletin. You can follow along with me. Uh, if you've been coming to Coastal for the last couple of weeks, I'm Pastor Sean, okay? I'm the pastor here, and, uh, and so you wouldn't know that. So thank you for Pastor Joey and Pastor Andrew giving me a little breather, and I always love to hear the preaching and just sit and soak it in. That helps my soul, too. Uh, I actually forgot to make an announcement, so jo Josh just, where's Josh? Ronnie, any, can you step in? Can you find the picture of David Wilson? I don't know, he's like, I don't know, he's scrambling. If not, don't sweat it, all right? Um, David, are you in here? Yes, you're in here. Great. Okay, well, it's, it's a small enough congregation here in the 8, eight o'clock. This is David Wilson. He is our new staff member. So do me a favor, put your hands together and welcome him. Um, pastoral care and discipleship is how he's going to be serving our body, okay? As we're growing, we have more needs. He's actually been a member of the church for years now, and uh, just a, he's a great man of God, and actually in that 30-second intro, that amazing radio voice is his, okay? He's got the preaching voice I wanted. Uh, you're stuck with this, though, so um, anyway, but he's a great man of God. We just brought him on staff about less than a week ago, or about a week ago, and so we're thrilled he's a part of our our staff, and uh, Josh, never step out to get a cup of coffee, okay? That's the word for you. Just kidding. Um, so do me a favor, guys. I got to be honest with you. Today's sermon for me um, is a little bit weighty, um, and so you're going to probably feel the weight as I, as I communicate. Um, we're going to be discussing what I think is one of the very important roles of the local church, and it's 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 a role that often gets overlooked, and uh, my suspicion is um, that there are many of you this morning that have never even heard a sermon on this topic, uh, because in the American church, we just don't talk about it, and, and, and most churches in America don't even practice what we're going to talk about this morning, and so I just, I just have this suspicion, some of you, this is like going to be brand new, like, man, I didn't know this was a role of the local church, and we're going to be talking about church discipline, because that's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Now, there's a level this morning of seriousness to this chapter, and, and I would, what my hope is that it encourages you and challenges you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, my hope is that it, it will encourage you to be serious about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be a member of a local church. Uh, and I've actually been talking to my my. 18, soon to be 19-year-old son, and said, listen, you're at an age now, you, you need to become a member of a local church, this local church where he attends. I said, you need to be a member of the church so that, that this message, if you will, really applies to you, that you understand the, the biblical teaching of church discipline. And so, uh, and so this sermon's really for believers. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, you're kind of investigating, I got really good news for you. You get to listen to me preach at them this morning, all right? And so I'm going to be preaching the believers. I'm going to be preaching to the members of this church. And, and I want to give you a couple assumptions this morning or, or this sermon, some of the questions that this sermon begs, okay? Some of the questions that this sermon assumes, right? It assumes that we look at the 66 books of the Bible, Genesis and Revelation, we take them serious. And we're taking, we're taking this as God's word, and we're, we're taking it as true, and we're taking it as something we can build our lives on. We're, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you understand that we take the words and the commands of this book seriously. I'm assuming this morning that if you're here and you call yourself a Christian, that you understand the weight of that word. You, you understand the weight of taking that title upon yourself. I, I think one of the things that's lost in American Christianity is the power of baptism. When a person stands up in front of a congregation, they profess Christ through baptism. And in New Testament times, when someone was baptized, they took their life into their hands. The, the government was against the local church. So if they stood up and said, I'm a Christian, that meant they were throwing off the lordship of Caesar and taking on the lordship of Christ. And in New Testament times, the government took that seriously. They made them nervous, quite frankly. Okay, And so I'm trying to encourage you, like the, when you take the name Christian upon you, uh, biblically speaking, it, it's, it's a big deal. I'm going to assume this morning you understand that, that, that sin is dangerous emotionally and physically and spiritually, and, and that you understand that even as a Christian, your sin nature is with you. We, we, the sin nature doesn't go away until we get our glorified body, until we go to heaven, okay? And then eventually we'll get a glorified body and sin will be no more. I, I can't wait for that day, but, but as a Christian, the Bible's very clear. If you're, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. The Bible says you're dead in your sin. You don't even want God. Your spirit doesn't long for God. And then once you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you, and now you're freed up to fight your sin, okay? Before you weren't even free to do that. You just indulged your sin however you wanted to. I'm going to assume that you understand that as a believer that our goal is to be Christ-like, which means we're pursuing the holiness of God. So as you sing about the great I am and we hear the passage of Isaiah 6 read, we understand, man, God is holy and as a follower of Christ, I'm to grow in holiness and to be more like Christ. Working with this, some you understand what the importance of being a church member and, and what it means to live in spiritual community. And, and in regards to coastal, that you understand the, what it means when I take on the name of a coastal, I'm a coastal community church member and, and what that means, okay? 
So let me give you the big picture. All right, so Paul's been transitioning. He, he starts out in chapter 1 and 2, essentially, and says, listen, this is who you are in Christ, in chapter 3 as well. You're, he reminds this church, this is who you are in Christ. Now live up to your name, essentially, as a follower of Jesus. And so now, and then he claims his authority in chapter 4, and now he's dealing with a sin in chapter 5. And, and so to give you some context, there's a, there's a man in the church that is sleeping, he's having sex with his father's wife. Not his mom, okay, maybe it's a polygamous relationship, we don't know, you know, maybe it's a second wife, whatever, but he's, he's sleeping with his father's wife, and then he's bragging about it, and the church is celebrating his freedom in Christ, right? We've been set free because of grace, and now I have the freedom to do whatever I want, is basically what's going around this church. It's, a, it's, it's the kind of sin that Paul even says even unbelievers would recognize as something, you know, the unbelievers would go, man, that's messed up, okay? We would call Call it sinful, you know, and so, and so Paul says this person needs to be dealt with in a biblical manner, and so Paul here is teaching us that unrepentant sin inside the church as believers will disunify the church. It will bring disunity. So the, again, this, the, the overarching theme of Corinthians is unity. It's one, that we work together as one. And unrepentant sin leads to problems. So 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, check this out. Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Verse 2, and you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now, again, I, I want to make sure we're, we're grasping what we're talking about here. This is, a, this is an obvious, habitual sin that is so obvious that even unbelievers would say this is sinful. And Paul here, it, he's not so much dealing with the sin. He hits on the sin right out of the gate, but he, he's dealing with Now, church, this is how you should respond to this kind of situation. And so the focus of the passage is not so much on the sin, but rather a church's response to habitual sin inside the body of Christ. Because he's saying habitual unrepentant sin will will cause disunity. And so this is where we get the, 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 the topic or the idea of church discipline. And so Paul now begins to lay out for the Corinthian church, hey, here is the process for dealing with sin among the church body, which is the method for church discipline. So look at this, verse 3 through 5. For though I am absent in the body, I am present in spirit as if present. I have, and then he says, I have already pronounced judgment. What comes to mind when we start talking about judging other people, right? There's a Bible passage that comes to mind. What is it in this culture? Well, I thought the Bible said, judge not, lest ye what? Be judge. We're going to cover that in a minute. Okay, we're going to come back to that. But Paul says, man, I've already pronounced judgment on this person, on the one who's done such a thing. Verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus 
You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Let me park on the word flesh for a minute. The word flesh is not physical flesh. Oftentimes, not always, but most of the time when you read it in the New Testament, he's talking about our sin nature, right? That, that there's this sin nature in us, even as believers. I, the phrase I like to use is indulging our flesh. We, we still battle with this. I want to indulge my flesh, And so he's saying this man needs to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the indulgence of his sin nature so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And so Paul here is saying this is dealing, if you will, with a church member, with a a brother or sister in Christ or someone that's calling themselves a brother or sister in Christ. And as believers, right, you know this, right, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? All right, a wage is what? A wage is something that you earn. And so Paul is taking sin seriously. He says, when you have a brother or sister in Christ, or someone's claiming to be a brother or sister in Christ, they're on the pathway to death. And the most loving thing we can do as brothers and sisters in Christ is say, man, I'm really concerned for your soul. I want to make sure you're on the pathway to life because I'm serious. The wages of sin is leading you on a destructive path. And so when a brother or sister is caught in a habitual unrepentant sin, the most loving thing we can do is talk to them about that and confront them. If we were to let that go, listen, we as a body of believers are literally saying, I hate you because I want you to be on the path of destruction. I want people in my life that love me enough to say, man, this might be a blind spot for you. I want people to love me enough to say, man, I want to make sure you're on the path to life. So this passage is talking about those who call themselves Christians, those who have submitted their lives to the leadership of the local church. In our case, it's Coastal Community Church, okay? So if you're a member of Coastal Community Church and we teach this, in our We Are Coastal class, okay? So we tell our, our potential members, hey, listen, we, we do church discipline at Coastal. And so, if, if, you know, we hope that you want to be loved enough to make sure that your life is not on a trajectory of the wage of sin. And so Paul here lays out both the purpose and the process of church discipline. So let's check this out. Okay, so the purpose and the process. The end goal of church discipline is repentance is restoration, is freedom, and is reconciliation, okay? So by the way, if those of you who have been, uh, have read through 1 Corinthians, you've skipped ahead to 2 Corinthians, what you'll find out in 2 Corinthians, this is really cool by the way, because Paul tells this church, instructs this church to deal with this man. Apparently they did deal with this man. And in 2 Corinthians, he actually gets his life together, right? Which is really cool. That's the end goal of, of sitting down with a brother. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. For such a one, Paul says, this punishment by the majority is enough. So in other words, they've dealt with him. He's repented, okay? And so you should rather turn and forgive and comfort him 
or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. I love that, right? So the church has said, hey, listen, you did what I asked you to do. He's repented. Now we need to restore him back into the community and the relationship with tender hearts and forgiveness. Pastor Andrew said something I think is very important, and this is where we need spiritual wisdom to discern which is which. Last week he said we give law to the proud, but we give grace to the humble, right? And so, and so when this man was in unrepentant sin and celebrating, what did he need? He needed the law. Hey, man, God is holy, and you're on the pathway to death. And, man, you gotta be ta- you need to take this rebellion against the holiness and the character of God seriously because we're scared for your soul. And then once he recognized and he woke up to that, I said, you know what, you're right. Man, you know, can you help me? Once that happens, what do we give the person? Grace. Hey, we want to forgive you the same way we've been forgiven. And so, there's, and so wisdom dictates which is which. I, in my, when I do personal counseling, I've got to determine when I'm meeting with someone which one they need at the moment. Right? If I give law to someone who's broken by the weight of their sin and believing all the lies about themselves, if I give them the law, I'm not being very wise in that moment. Right? Oh, this person needs grace. They need to know God loves them in Christ. They need to know that God welcomes them with open arms the way the prodigal son could come home. But if I'm meeting with someone who's full of pride and they don't see their sin, man, I'm going to give them the law so that they feel the weight of the character of God and the need to repent of their sin and flee to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, like Pastor Andrew mentioned last week, I think this is important as we're reading through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is probably the first biblical letter that we actually have, okay, even before some of the gospels. So, you know, this this feeds into our understanding. And so Paul was probably leaning into the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 18 to give this church the biblical process for accountability and encouragement, okay? So there's a, here's the process in Matthew 18. So hopefully you know the teachings of Christ, but if you don't, you're going to hear us from time to time at Coastal refer to Matthew 18, Matthew 18, Matthew 18. Well, what's Matthew 18? It's the teaching of Christ on confronting a brother in habitual sin and what that looks like, okay? So Matthew 18, here it is, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, guess what? You've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two others along with you that that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. In other words, you go and sit down with two or three, and maybe, maybe you misheard the story. Maybe you don't have the story right. So two or three go, yeah, you know what? That story is true. Their, their heartbeat is true. Their, their rejection of the holiness or righteousness of God is true. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. By the way, this is probably the first use that we have recorded of Jesus using the word church. Tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The idea is now you treat them as an unbeliever. Verse 18. Truly I say to you. By the way, I want you to hear this, okay? This verse, the next two verses get ripped out of context all the time, right? And, and, and we, I hear crazy statements being made out of these next two verses, okay? Verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I hear this verse quoted in all kinds of weird charismatic ways, right? Oh, the church wants that property, man, you just claim it. 
Because whatever you bind, you know, bind on earth, we bind. No, this is in the context of church discipline. And the weight of church discipline is this, that I think this verse is saying that Jesus is teaching the church. When you declare a person an unbeliever, feel the weight? Whatever you bind on earth will be what? Anybody? Do you feel the weight? Listen, there's been a couple times at Coastal where the elders have, it's, all, it's gone all the way to the elder meeting where we've had to talk about church discipline. And I always read this verse and I say, I want you men to feel the weight of what we're talking about. We're looking at a person who's claiming to be a believer and we're saying, I don't think you're, you understand the gospel. I don't think you're a believer. And I think the church with this process, with a healthy process, actually bears the weight of saying, we don't think you're a believer. Feel the weight of that? This isn't some weird charismatic. This is about salvation and a person taking the name of Jesus upon. Now, some of you are going to go, are you saying the church can call someone, you know, make them saved or unsaved? No, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But a church does bear the power of saying, we do not recognize the gospel in your life. At the end of the day, it's between you and God alone, but the church holds the authority to say, we don't see it. It's pretty serious, right? Verse 19, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, let him ask and it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, here's the second verse, gets taken out of context, right? Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, what? There I am, what? Where do you hear this verse misquoted? It's the worship leader, right? He's got the guitar strapped over him. He's playing some great melody. Hey, guys, we're about to sing praise to the Lord, right? So you know the verse, right? A prayer meeting, wherever two or three are gathered, right? And whenever I hear a worship leader do that, I'm like, I didn't know we were about to do church discipline. That's great, fantastic. No, he, don't, please, please don't start a prayer meeting with this verse because all of a sudden the weight of what we're doing comes on to me, right? Like, whoa, what? We're doing church discipline? What he's saying is when you go through this process and two or three are gathered, you gather in the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very, very weighty section of Scripture. And so Paul says, I think Paul's referring to this in the Corinthian church. He's saying, look, we need to deal with this man. How do we deal with him? Here's the process, ready? It's very, it's late, it couldn't be plainer. Number one, you meet one-on-one with the person, discuss the sinful issue. Meet one-on-one. It's not, by the way, this is not the pastor's job, all right? This is your job as a fellow Christian. If, if there's a, a sin in a friend of yours that's a Christian, a brother and sister in Christ, you know, it, it, it's your job to call that brother or sister and say, hey, listen, I've noticed, I need to talk to you about something. I don't need an inbox full of emails tomorrow that say, Pastor John, you need to go deal with, you know, because I'm just going to punt it back to you, right? Well, did you meet with them first? Well, no. Well, it's your job. Just sit down with that person. And I can tell you, church, I've, I've been here a long time and pastoring a long time. When you're dealing with a believer, 
And you're dealing with someone where the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. They understand the gospel. They understand the high cost of the forgiveness of their sin, which is the blood of Jesus Christ, right? They understand the, that Christ is risen from the dead. The Holy Ghost now lives inside and the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. And now they have the power of the Holy Spirit of helping them battle against sin. When you're dealing with a believer and you sit down with them and you say, listen, I've noticed something in your life uh, that's an area of sin. What happens is for a believer, they go, you know what? You're 100% right. Like, can, you, can you help? Like, I need help. Man, when this temptation comes, sometimes I, man, I struggle and I don't seem to be able to come overcome this. Can, can you call me once a week and just ask how I'm doing? Or if I'm weak and I'm facing, can I call you? Like that's what happens in the heart of a believer. And I see that happen way more than the other way. All right. And so yeah, that's what's going to happen. By the way, at that point, if you're bold enough to go talk to that person, when they say, hey, I need help, guess what you better be ready to do? Bear one another's burdens, right? And say, man, I'm here to help. I'm here to journey with you as a brother or a sister in Christ. And so 99% of the time, when I've sat down with someone who, or someone sits with me that's loving enough to point out a sin, man, I go, you're, you're right, and I need help. I'm, I'm still broken, even in my process of sanctification, right? And so Jesus says, if you do that and a person repents, you've won a brother. Great. But if a person doesn't repent... Jesus says we, we sit down with, with spiritual authority, verse 16 of Matthew 18, right? This is, this is the accountability of establishing the truth of the problem. So maybe you sat down with a friend or a small group person or someone in your life in a ministry area or whatever, and they, they didn't repent. Maybe then you go get your small group leader or the ministry leader. Maybe you get a pastoral staff or an elder that you know, and you sit down with this person, and you, you talk about the truth of the story, truth of what's going on in our life. And if they still don't repent, if they still go, man, you know what, I, I'm still going to do my own thing. At that point, then we seek out church leadership. That's where we seek out a pastor or an elder. And, and, and we broaden the scope of what needs to be talked about. And if the person still doesn't repent, that's, that's where we remove them from church membership. Okay, And so at Coastal, we would we'd remove the label of Coastal Community Church mem- Membership. Paul says not to associate with this man. Paul says to turn this person over to Satan so that for the destruction of their flesh, so that they might be saved, so they might, might, be, might get to where their sin is repented of. And by the way, anytime we've done this at Coastal, and it's only been a couple times, anytime we've done this at Coastal, it's always with, hey, here's the rest. We always let that person know, here's the restoration process. If you want to be a member again, you want to be a part of our church, here's, what it, here's the steps. We always give very practical steps. This is what it looks like for you to be a member of Coastal. And I think that's why Paul was able to say in 2 Corinthians, hey, this man has done what you've asked him to do. Receive him back into the body of Jesus Christ. The third thing I want you to see from the Apostle Paul is the Apostle Paul informs this church. He says, here's the reason why a church needs to do discipline. Why why must a church do church discipline? Why should that be a part of a local church? By the way, if you're investigating a local church, Okay, you're here this morning, you're investigating Coastal. And even if this isn't the church for you, I hope it is. We'd love to have you as a part of our church body. If this, you need to find a church that does church discipline. I think a church fails to be a church if it doesn't take this seriously. But some of you are like, well, I've never even heard a sermon on this. That's the problem with the church in America. And Paul says, listen, Look at verse 6. Your boasting's not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I know some of you are like, what is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. Sin can influence the whole church. What's the whole thing about leaven? Leaven is, a, is an ingredient in bread, especially in Old Testament, New Testament times. It would help the dough to rise, right? And you only need a little bit. Like it's like baking powder or whatever, right? You put a little bit in, you know, but if you ever put too much in when you're baking something, right? And you have dough all over your oven, right? So a little bit of leaven, right? I, I bought last, a couple weeks ago, I bought a bag of apples from, uh, from uh, it doesn't matter from where. Anyway, because... <clears throat> I bought a bag of apples from a local food store. Let's just call it that. And one of the apples had a little bit of rot on it. Actually, it had quite a bit of rot on it. You ever done that? Isn't it crazy? Because that little bit of rot was touching two other apples. That's what happened to those two other apples. The rot spread, right? Now, this didn't happen, but what if, what if in jostling that bag, those two other apples had turned and touched two other apples? What would have happened, right? You know what would have happened. The rot would have spread. And what Paul is saying is when a church leaves habitual, unrepentant sin and one of its church members go unchecked, man, the, the sinful rot can create disunity from one to the next. A little leaven, Paul says, it influences the whole thing. And it stains... The testimony, ultimately, this is the problem. It stains the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what we're concerned about. We're concerned about the gospel going forward in our community. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, we're going to look at this next week. And, man, I can't wait till next week because next week I think Paul really deals with the three things that the church was missing in dealing with this man. This is what you're not considering when you're allowing this sin to go on in your church body. And one of the things you're not considering is your sin was bought with a price. It was the gospel. It was the, the, the flesh and blood of Christ that paid for our sin. And when you let sin go unchecked, you, as a church, you're going to... No biggie. And you're forgetting the high cost of our redemption. And when you take the name of Christian upon your life, that's a big deal. That goes with you everywhere. There's no, there's no public and private life. And by the way, if you're in this room and you're a pastor, you're a, spirit, you're a small group leader, or you're an elder, or you're a ministry leader, coach, like, there's no public and private life. You, you know, I'm always a pastor. Always. And I should be. It's not like, oh, your Sunday morning's this life, and behind the scenes it's this life. It shouldn't be like that. That's why I'm so concerned with the way I drive. I've thought about taking Coastal Sticker off. I'm, ter- I'm a terrible driver. I probably run some of you off the road. Like... Lord, I need to improve. I need to be more patient, you know. Please get the northeast out of me. Um, I believe that the reason, what is one of the biggest stones thrown against the church in America when it comes to the church? I don't go to church because the church is full of what? Some of that is our own doing. Some of that is right. You know what, that's true because we haven't done what Paul says in the very early church, one of the first churches in the New Testament was planted, didn't implement what Jesus taught in Matthew 18. We've let habitual, unrepentant sin go. 
And we've kind of, as a church, we've kind of shrugged our shoulders. I've, I've heard it throughout my whole lifetime, you know, just grotesque sexual sin. And then I find out, well, this person was a pastor. This person was a deacon. What? And so my next question is, so did, so did the church deal with that? Listen, it happens at Coastal. Like, did you know so-and-so and such-and-such? You want to know the first question I ask? Are they a church member? Are they a church member here? Because I take that serious. I met with a guy. I went up to Baltimore this Friday and Saturday. It was my mom's 17th birthday. I ran into a guy I grew up with in my church uh, in Baltimore. Hadn't seen him in 30 years. We got to talking about... um, he was pastoring church, I was pastoring church, this church, and you know, he was asking the size of Coastal, and I told him what our average attendance was, and he goes, I wouldn't want to be responsible for that many souls. So I knew exactly what he meant. And I said, well, I said, actually, I, I said, one of the things we take really seriously is membership. We, we want to, you know, we don't have as many, we've, at Coastal, we've always kind of run three to one. For every member, there's three attenders. But I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should want to be in membership because you should want to say, you know what, I want some spiritual accountability over my life. I, I distrust my own sin nature enough to go, you know what, I might need accountability at some point. I'd do that. I'd do that. I, I, I would expect the elders of Coastal to hold me to be a Timothy 3 man. I should be. Okay? And so... And so, you know, I, I got what he was saying. But when you take the name Coastal Community Church member upon you, like we take that serious and we take it seriously about this. And by the way, can I, can I speak briefly on a practical note for a minute? Can I talk about social media? You know, snap face or whatever. Um, <clears throat> Look... Social media is a tool. I'm not about to rail about social media is bad. Social media is a tool like any other tool. It can be used for really great things and it can be used for negative things. When I'm on whatever and I see someone post that I know is a Christian and I see them post, man, I'm so excited to go to vacation with my girlfriend or boyfriend. You want to know what runs through my mind? Is there accountability? If it's a young person, I'm wondering, are they going with the other family? I hope so. You know, there's some accountability to their family. Or, or is it, like, are you guys, if it's an older couple, I'm like, are you, you going to the Bahamas and getting a room together? Because to me, that screams sexual sin. And it gets to the point of Jesus goes with you in social media. And so if you're doing it right, you're going away together and it's right, and there's accountability, like, make that clear. Hey, I'm going away with my girlfriend's family. That for me goes, oh, okay, there's accountability. Use the wisdom of what the rest of the world sees. But if you're not, man, keep, and keep it all social media. And if you're a church member, you may get a question. Like, is this above board? Are you taking sexual sin seriously? And by the way, in this passage, Paul talks about, he talks about sexual immorality and greediness. Which I'm like, those are the two huge sins of our culture, right? So finally, Paul wants us to be clear, right? What is the sphere of discipline for the local church? Who, who, who is the local church responsible for? Check this out, verse 9 through 13. We'll finish this thing up, ready? So Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter. Some letter that Paul wrote that we don't have. Wouldn't that be cool to have that? 
He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Verse 10. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world. So Paul's saying, I'm not, you, you misunderstood. When I said don't hang out with sexually immoral people, I wasn't talking about lost people, people that don't claim to be Christians. He says, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name what? Brother, right? who's a Christian, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or he's an idolater or a violent drunk or swindler, not even eat, he says, I'm telling you, not even to eat with us one, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge this evil person from among you. Here's what Paul's saying. I don't care but in regards to judgment of unbelievers. Let me tell you something, church. Uh, this is going, what I'm about to say is going to shock some of you. Unbelievers shockingly act like unbelievers. All right. So when you're out in the community and you're at work, or you're hanging out with a neighbor or whatever, like don't you're not the moral police. Every time they tell you something simple, you know, like, and it is super weird being a pastor, right? When people know you're a pastor, like they'll say something bad or whatever. They'll say something like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I know you're a pastor." Here's what I always say: It's okay. You don't answer to me. Because that's what the text says. What have I got to do with judging unbelievers? You're going to answer to God. You don't answer to me. And we get so uptight around lost people. And by the way, we're not the moral police. The goal of Christianity is not to make people moral. It's to get them saved. Jesus takes care of making them moral by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to go, I just want them to know Christ. Christ takes care of cleaning up the immorality, right? So just chillax when you're out in the community, all right? But we are to judge believers, what is Matthew 7, 1? I told you I'd come back around to this, right? Matthew 7, 1, Jesus said this, verse 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. This verse is always pulled out of context. Because what does Jesus go on to say? For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be what, church? Measured to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. Whatever you use to judge people, you're going to be judged by that. So if a man is sleeping with his father's wife and we go, hey, you know what, that's sinful and that behavior shouldn't go on, you should judge me by that same judgment. I would want to be judged by that same judgment. Agreed? There's sexual immorality and as a church we go, hey, that's sinful and as a Christian that's not the overflow of the Holy Spirit living inside you. We should judge that knowing the same judgment should be used upon us, right? And so it's not judge not let you be judged. It's, it's using the wisdom of judgment. And so we have, as a church, the loving responsibility to make sure brothers and sisters in Christ are not consumed with their sin. Hebrews chapter 3. 
We went through this last summer. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm until the end. I, um, I remember when... I'm not going to give you my whole spiritual journey, um, but this whole kind of seeker-sensitive church movement thing was kind of coming up about 20, 30 years ago, and and God was using that to formulate some thoughts in my heart and mind. But I really wanted to couple that with a church that took seriously the Word of God. And 25, 30 years ago, I just didn't see it happening, right? There was like, it was, it was, seemed like there was kind of this, man, we want to reach lost people, but sometimes it was at the expense of taking the Word of God seriously. And so, you know, that's not what I want to do. I want to have like, hey, we, we're cat, you know, we take ourselves kind of lightly, but we take the Word of God seriously kind of thing. That's kind of what I had in my mind, right? We're humble enough to know we ain't got it all together, but the Word of God is serious. And so, and so I was looking for a church that, was both contemporary and casual, but also serious about the word. And I remember I was in seminary and I visited this church that my in-laws were going to. And it was called Steel Creek in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the, ser- the first sermon I ever went to, the pastor got up and he preached on church discipline. And I was blown away. And I was like, man, this, because I'd read, there's so much in scripture about this, but no churches I knew were doing it, right? And so, or taking it seriously. And so I was like, oh, wait a minute. You know, and, and so I actually wrote the pastor. I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a year from graduating seminary. I want to be on staff at your church. He didn't know me from Adam, okay? Uh, it, that ended up not working out. That wasn't what God had planned. But this pastor and I are still friends to this day. And I was like, man, I, want, I was attracted to a church that was serious about the word of God. You know, some of you might be sitting here this morning like, Pastor John, aren't you afraid this kind of stuff's going to hurt church growth? Aren't you afraid this is going to hurt the church and the community? I think it's quite the opposite, I think that God is waiting to bless the church that opens this book and takes it serious. This past week I was writing a sermon for a couple weeks from now and I was was just convicted. I'm like, God, when are you going to send revival? And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, when is the church going to take serious its sexual sin? Did you know that in the 1800s, studies show that some denominations were taking church discipline so seriously that they were removing 2% of their church roles, church members from their roles every year? Did you imagine? Yet, during that same time, the churches in America were growing at twice the rate of the nation's population. I actually think it's the opposite. I think the church is not being effective in America because it's not taking the word of God serious for those that call themselves Christians. And so because of that, the world scoffs at the church. And the world sees no difference in the local church. And so I want Coastal to be a church that takes the word of God serious. We take your spiritual journey serious. If you're a Christian and you're a member of this church, we take that serious. We want you to know Christ and walk with him every single day. And so I want to finish with a quote from Pastor John MacArthur who wrote this regarding this passage. He said, A church that does not mourn over sin, especially sin within its own fellowship, is on the edge of spiritual disaster. I believe that to be true. I want us to be a church that takes sin serious. I want you 
be individuals that take your sin seriously and flee to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think when church people, when Christians begin to take sin as serious as God does, we will see a great awakening in our culture. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will convict me of my sin. And I'm not preaching at them out there. I'm I'm looking at Sean Brown. I'm holding up the mirror of your character and your righteousness, and I'm reminded how short I fall, God. And it humbles me, and it brings me back daily to the need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how much I need Christ, how grateful I am for his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It reminds me that's my only hope. And it reminds me that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of me, and that spirit is molding me more and more into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that as a church we would, we would take 1 Corinthians 5 serious, God, and, and that you, in your sovereignty, might choose to, to use Coastal to, to make a huge impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our heartbeat, God. We believe the wages of sin is death. We don't want to see people on the path of death. We want to see people on the path of life. So help us to take the battle with sin seriously in our own lives as individuals and as a church. So that the glory and the fame of the gospel of Jesus Christ might shine all the more bright. That as we lift up Christ, you will draw many to yourself. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.